0: movie fans and welcome back to another episode of the uncharted media podcast. This is a special episode as we have a very special guest joining us this week. Uh Josh is a little busy, but there's been something in the works for a little bit. I have a friend, writer, all around creative individual My friend Ivan will be joining us on the podcast today, and given that Ivan is a writer, and we will absolutely be promoting his own work later, uh, I was like, let's let's meet halfway here. Let's talk books, let's talk movies, let's talk best book-to-movie adaptations. Now, I don't know how you approach this, but at least for me, I approach it in the sense of most loyally following its source material over the quality of the movie. All these movies are good for the most part, but I chose how closely they resemble it. What about how would you approach That's,
1: it? Um, sometimes I approach it that way. Uh, other times I do approach it with the with the perspective of sometimes uh, the movie gets it right with what to omit, what to keep. I also so have some of that as well. Even if it isn't, yeah, so even if it isn't hundred uh, percent loyal to the uh, source material, you know maybe maybe we do have a good movie on our hands if they made the right, the right choices.
0: And I have at least one that I'm sure is going to piss some people off that it's on this list. Or they'll be like, that's not the one that you should have put on this list. But I don't care. We, Anybody that's listened to the podcast for any length of time knows, I don't care. But <laughs> I have not been watching anything particularly special while. I've I've just been kind of busy with stuff. I did watch one movie since last week. And that was Monty Python's The Life of Brian. It's not as good as I was hoping it would be and I've just destroyed Ivan's hopes and dreams.
1: Well, no, I mean, uh, you can kind of call that a a book adaptation, right? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. You kind of can, and um, I'm not going to lie. I use this same logic with one of my choices. Oh, I'm uh, I'm curious now. For a book adaptation. So um, the Bible is a book, (laughs) you know? True. So uh, I, I would call this, even if it is, uh, done in in a satirical manner, probably an adaptation.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mel, it's it's an abridged version by Mel Brooks. I I don't know. I maybe I just had my expectations too high with Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which is like on the Mount Rushmore of comedies. I thought this was just it was fine. It was History of the World Part One compared to Men in Tights, and by that I mean Men in Tights is the greatest comedy ever created. And history of the world, part one, exists. No. <laughs> See, I brought this up. And I think you. And I think
1: you said that. You said that because I've told you, history of the world is my favorite Mel
0: Brooks movie. No, actually, I brought that up earlier today <laughs> with some people, and they're like, "You said what about history of the world?" I'm just like. I will die on the hill that Men in Tights is the best Mel Brooks movie, even though I know a lot of people go with Spaceballs or Blazing Saddles, which does not hold up as well as people like to think it does, or History of the World Part One. I haven't. Uh, those <laughs> two,
1: those, uh, every movie you've said so far is not the best Mel Brooks movie in my eyes. You know, the there there is a, a top. The top two aren't any of the ones that you just said. Uh, def, definitely, History of the World Part One but then there's young Frankenstein. And I think those are two of the best.
0: Young Frankenstein is the one for me that gets better as I get older, because I've seen the classic universal monster movies now to appreciate more of the jokes. And I think that's why I like men in tights is because I'm in on the Robin hood jokes more. Cause I'm a Robin hood fan, but also as much as I like the Kevin Costner one, I like making fun of that one more. The Kevin Costner one's good. Minus Kevin Costner. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, mine, mine is the focal point of the entire
0: <laughs> movie. Okay, let's just be honest. Robin Hood does not have the best track record with movies, so I'm content with just a semi competent <laughs> Robin Hood movie. Because anybody new listening to the podcast, if you ever want to see me get hot under the collar, bring up Russell Crowe's Robin Hood, and you will see basically an uncaged Hulk like creature. Because. I would rather watch Batman and Robin as the only movie I could ever watch ever for the rest of my life than watch Robin Hood one more time. Uh,
1: I don't know, man. Rob- Batman and Robin, um, as as uh, weak as it is in comparison to its counterparts, is still a pretty fun movie. So,
0: fair. Let's let's move <laughs> you know, on from uh, Mel Brooks. Have you been watching yeah, anything yeah. interesting, movie or TV wise, recently that you you want to bring to the people's attention? I mean, I.
1: I have kids, so I don't get a lot of, a lot of time to, um, I I try to get in what I can. And, uh, so, so far I have caught up on Stranger Things and, uh, and, um. Priorities. uh, The hell did I just watch? Uh, (laughs) I have watched the first episode of season three of The Boys.
0: Mm, That I have not caught up on yet. I'm behind on The Boys. Nate. I know. I know. I know watch it <laughs> add it to the list i feel watch like i've got to watch that yeah. what we do in the shadows harley quinn there's so much stuff i gotta get caught up on but yes i know the boys is top of my list harley quinn
1: is a brilliant a brilliant show
0: well also they're introducing nightwing next season so i gotta get caught up as quick as humanly possible uh, it's the guy that's voicing nightwing on harley quinn is Guillermo from what we do in the shadows so i gotta do both of those viewings gotcha. for my nightwing homework uh but of those what what would you say is top tier so far
1: uh, Stranger Things has been absolutely beautiful. Uh, probably the best season so far. I, th- I think now that we have these uh, these characters that we know and love so well, they've been furthering, developing them in, in, in an incredible way. Especially Max. Max is such a well written character in this season. Not to say that she was weak in the last one, but when we got to when we get to meet her. They they were still kind of going with stories that from the other characters, so they still had a lot on their plate when Max came in. But now that they actually get to have her uh, shine in this season, they're doing it so damn well, and it is such a it's such beautiful storytelling this time uh, this time around, more
0: beautiful than it has been. I never disliked Max but I think she was the weakest of all the characters in terms of who I cared about, her and Nancy, but I think they have gone a really long way, especially for those that are caught up. That one episode with Max and everyone that knows, it's just like, I don't know if I could ever be the same. And without delving too much into spoilers, cause we'll, we'll give people like another week or two before we go into full spoilers. I was convinced that episode four was going to end very differently. Even at the goal line, I was still convinced that it was going to go the other way. Of just like, oh, you give them a little hope and then you rip it away. I thought, and I was so happy that they didn't. I was like, that is masterful storytelling. But also, um, and I'm sure you can appreciate this as a writer, I loved how the A storyline and the B storyline connected at the end going, oh, it's not so much that they're just, two separate storylines to keep us entertained. It's just one big storyline. That's really well done. That's typically the right? A storyline is the good stuff and the B is the leftovers, but not this season.
1: Everybody's important in this season. And I think that's so good. That's so great. Nobody is, nobody is insignificant and everybody has something to bring to the table, you know? And even even the new characters, you know, Eddie being as new as he is. Oh, I will die to great Eddie. addition to yeah, is a great addition and we fell in love with him so quickly and you know not not to say fuck everybody else but fuck everybody else.
0: I mean <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You watching anything good before we get into some new movie news?
1: Am I watching anything good?
0: Anything else besides I mean, Stranger Things that's noteworthy?
1: I mean I've been try- I've been uh, uh, keeping up with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi as well. I said good I finished programming. All the season, or those
0: Oh, I'm just it's not as bad as people make it out to be. Am I, t- it's, it's, am it's I touching okay. a nerve here. No. No. i am just <laughs> I was just being an edge lord. It's really not as bad as people make it out to be. However, it's just fine, I think. I think it's good, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Why did I? Why did I know that you would you would just say it's fine? Because it is just fine. Like, okay, but it's got it's got really good elements in it right yes, now. Yes, it is doing a,
1: it's doing a lot of really good build up, and the fact that we've gotten to see so many characters that we know and love and do, and in a stage of their life that we have yet to see, I think, is great. There are, uh, I mean, there are a few things that are just kind of like, eh, but at the same time, I they they're not as significant of things. I can ignore those things, and the big picture that it's setting up right now, I think, is really what's driving this particular story. And getting t- to know these characters at a younger part of their lives before we hit a new hope, they're doing it really well. Because they're putting these characters in peril in spite of the fact that we know that some we know the fate of these characters already. Or so to put we. them in a situation where we can still feel the suspense I think is is being done quite well.
0: My one criticism so far is they made this big deal about Hayden Christensen is back as Darth Vader. So far yeah. on the show, does it really matter? Because. No, you could put anybody in that suit. Yeah, you got James Earl Jones back as the voice, which is probably more important, but so far, I was kind of hoping that with Hayden Christensen coming back, we would get more flashbacks. Like, I'm not saying I'm a huge Clone Wars fan, but, like, Clone Wars did do a big service in terms of filling out the backstory that really wasn't necessarily there in the prequels in terms of the brotherly. Relationship between Obi-Wan and Anakin. I was kind of hoping for some of those flashbacks to show the connection. But so far, Hayden Christensen is just a dude in a suit that could kind of be played by anybody. So I'm kind of hoping I'm yeah. wrong about that in the last three episodes here. But so far, I'm like, yeah, Vader's scary. But does it have to be Hayden?
1: It really doesn't ha- have to be. And if this is the route that they're looking to go, is to just have uh, Hayden Christensen in a suit the entire time um are we going to see him out out of the suit uh are we going to see him uh are we going to see more of a back to tank are we going to see more uh flashbacks that's what we're going to have to do if we're going to play up the fact that this guy's in it i i am a little bit apprehensive well not apprehensive i'm a little bit scared <laughs> a little nervous about where where we're going with him because i want to see him
0: oh you mean it might have all just been a publicity stunt it could have been and, I
1: mean, it would work, obviously, but if he's just going to be in a suit the entire time, it's a publicity stunt that could backfire when it comes to more Star Wars in the future that may or may not feature Darth Vader.
0: Let's get into some news, shall we? Because in this week's weekly installment, it feels like, of Nathan cries Cavill, it seems like there may actually be... Some news on the Henry Cavill front this time around. And it can't come any sooner because it feels like I've been crying out for this for hmm, seven or eight years now. But with the Warner Brothers Discovery merger, their priorities are all over the place. But supposedly, David Zasliff and his team are very much focused on the DC side of stuff and getting it back on track to what, frankly, the, the franchise deserves. So reportedly... The sentiment going around within Warner Bros. Discovery with Upper Brass is they're talking about scrapping all current Superman projects in development. The J.J. Abrams produced one, the Michael B. Jordan starring one, and scrapping all Superman stuff and starting over with the Henry Cavill-led Superman movie. And the skies opened up, and God said, I love you, Alfalfa, because this. It's not confirmation yet. I'm not going to be one of those people that be like, it's confirmed. It is not confirmed because we're not that type of movie site around here. But this is positive news. I have been saying since the merger, I think it was telling when David Zaslav was like, yeah, Discovery, we acquired Warner Bros. for this vast catalog that we have of DC characters. And he started with Superman. He's got the right mindset. But also Zaslav understands As much as we may not like the movies, Henry Cavill was not the problem. He never was the problem. It was the writing associated with it. I like most of Man of Steel, except for the second half and Paw Kent. You can distill everything wrong Superman by how good or how bad the Paw Kent character is. And as much as I like Kevin Costner as an actor, he's a bad Paw Kent and he's the opposite of what Paw Kent is supposed to be. Hey dad, I saved the school bus full of kids. Maybe you should have let him die, son. That's a good idea. <laughs> but I, I'm i okay with this if it's a quasi reboot, because that's kind of what we need. But I, I completely agree that if they want this universe to succeed, they need Superman to work. So I think scrapping the other two ideas, which could be interesting. Supposedly there was going to be a Michael B. Jordan starring Superman where he was going to be Val Zod, like an alternate universe Superman, and another black Superman story produced by J.J. Abrams. Both of those, I think, could be interesting, but you would still kind of need a central core iconic Superman as well as those other spin-off ones, like secure your own foundation before you start building upon layers. That's why they've kind of scrapped some of the lesser known DC movies that were coming up like the wonder twins movie one no one asked for it but two those are lesser known characters solidify your core before strengthening it out so to speak i have i don't think you're as much of a diehard henry cavill superman person as i am <laughs> believe it or not but you see that potentially there's this thing called hope on the horizon do you want cavill back or are you kind of like let's kind of just step away from anything snyder later just Fresh start. Well, Cavill is
1: still the only Superman that I feel... Or the only actor who is appropriate for Superman right now. Uh, He's still the best choice. So I'm all good with keeping him. Uh, We... just Just to be completely sure here, we are keeping Man of Steel in the canon, yes?
0: See, I don't know. I've thought about this before because supposedly the Flash might, like, scrap everything. But in which case, if we're following comic book logic, Man of Steel did happen, but then, like, do you have this new timeline? So, like, Man of Steel happened, and everything we've gotten so far has happened, but then when Flash comes back, oh, Back to the Future 2, does he change the future like he does in Rebirth? Which case, so Man of Steel both did and didn't happen?
1: The reason that I'm... Well, well, the reason that I'm asking is because if we go all the way back to uh if we retcon all the way back to man of steel is that going to also change justice league and any other appearance he's ever had uh does does that retcon everything that's attached to him uh because without him without man of steel happening we don't have the presence of superman we really do have to start all over but we also have to retcon everything that was attached to that part of the canon which is pretty much everything, isn't it?
0: Yeah. But then again, if we're if we're rebooting everything, we can kind of pick and choose certain elements from Man of Steel. And also like if we start over, I don't think Superman is an obscure character that people would be like okay. Well tell me what his backstory is. I think people at this point like Batman's parents getting shot or Spider Man seeing Uncle Ben die, people kinda know Superman's general mythos of like orphan baby come to earth and then raised by middle american people
1: i i wouldn't give i wouldn't say that i mean i think that i don't think he's on the same level of batman in terms of how uh um, of how well known his origin story is um because we don't get a lot of that backstory repeated over and over the way that we do when we watch Batman franchises. So...
0: Well, to be fair, we've had more, more Batman than Superman movies, though. Yes, we have.
1: Uh, which is why we probably can retell the, uh, uh, Superman's origin story and not fall victim to that... victim to what Batman uh has fallen victim to in that repetitive, uh, in that repetitive thing. But if we want to retcon all the way back to that and just scrap Man of Steel altogether, I'd be okay with that as long as we go over the origin story one, just one more time. And it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be like the whole first act of the movie. You know, it, it can be a mention in the beginning of the movie or just like a really brief thing before we uh, before we cut to him on Earth.
0: Yeah, I think some. Reestablishing of if you're going to tweak some stuff with his origin... ...or kind of reshape his origin a little bit. Give some exposition of just like... Here's the, ...here's the major cliff notes of the things that we change. If it was up to me... ...his dad would still be alive. Just because I like seeing both of his parents alive... ...just for a little bit. Eventually his parents have to die because they're human. Uh, and also, if his dad does die eventually... He should die of natural causes, not a stupid tornado, because Superman has to learn that death is inevitable and you can't save everyone, especially if your dad is stupid and goes after the family dog and tells people to go to the most unsafe place that you can be in a tornado, which is under that bridge. I have issues with that scene and with that pocket, but yes, it should be he he learns death is inevitable. I can't save everyone. I I really do think there's a better chance now than ever that Henry Cavill will come back because there's been such a fan outcry of you and I have talked ad nauseum before of how sick we were of like Snyder fans of just like the Snyder cut, restore the Snyderverse. You had those people wanting Henry Cavill back, but then you had people that didn't like the Snyder movies also wanting Henry Cavill back. So it's just strange uniform front that everyone no matter what is like no no that's the dude that should come back very rarely can you get something that everyone really gets behind that's i think part of the reason why obi-wan has been the huge success for disney plus is everyone on the planet earth loves you mcgregor as obi-wan and was excited to see him come back very few things can people really rally around together and i think Not to the same level as Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan thing, but people just love Henry Cavill in general. He's become an even bigger star than when he first was in Man of Steel, Uh, like Mission Impossible, The Witcher, Enola Holmes to a certain extent. He's a huge name now. But like you brought up with his perfect casting, it's so hard to find an actor that embodies the Clark and the Superman. I think it's harder to find a Superman than it is to find a Batman. Because... Superman you have to have this big physicality but also at the same time be able to to a certain extent hide that physicality whether it's hunching or your general posture and I think Cowell is really good at both so I'm I'm very much obviously very much wanting him to come back it's just a matter of what do we choose to do with him this time you could potentially have a fresh start with him where do you go with this if you are if Ivan's a writer Since Ivan's a writer, if, the better question, if you were a DC writer, which means, you know, I don't know if I trust you, if you were a DC writer and were tasked with a Superman reboot, what's your, like, general outline? What would you do this time around to differentiate it?
1: Um, I would probably... This is going to be this is going to be really um this is to be something everybody says but um I absolutely stand by it. I would not darken it so much. Uh because Superman is not a dark character. Preach. Superman is it uh, being a symbol of hope, he is supposed to be a lighter character. He is supposed to be um not so damn heavy. So he's supposed to be what takes the heaviness out of something, not what puts it in. So that's the biggest thing that I would change. Tone is going to be everything uh, when it comes to most superheroes, most superhero movies. It's what makes Batman what it is. It's what makes everything what it is. So lighten the damn tone. Let's have this be what it's supposed to be and have him be the symbol of hope he's supposed to.
0: Transitioning now from dc to marvel we have a mild and i mean mild but also significant at the same time update on the fantastic four movies so we know maybe about a month or two ago uh spider-man no way home well spider-man entire trilogy director john watts dropped out of the project due to burnout like superhero fatigue and burnout wanting to do smaller projects there was some conspiracy theories Also kind of peddled by me, I'll fully own up to that, that he might have been replaced by John Krasinski, but I'm starting to think that that might not be the case anymore, as according to some sources, Marvel is looking at big-name directors, specifically Kevin Feige is looking at big-name directors to be helming this new Fantastic Four, because supposedly he really liked being able to take a back seat on the production of doctor strange in the multiverse of madness, because Sam Raimi has been making movies since before all of us have been alive basically, and has years more experience than a lot of other MCU directors, not all, but most. So I think he got that first taste of, Oh, hiring people with experience is nice. Wow. What a, what a a novel. novel, what a novel revelation there, Kevin Feige. I think this is good, interesting, but good. I will bring up, though, it's like, well, just because they bring experience doesn't mean they're always the best fit, um, I don't know how you felt about it, but I think Doctor Strange could have been better with a different director. It was very Sam Raimi, for better or for worse, um, it excels at the Raimi parts, I'll, I'll say that. Um, I'm wondering if how much of my list still is intact, whether those names are still big names. So before we kind of double back on some of the names that floated out when we last talked about Fantastic Four, Ivan, when you hear big name directors and Fantastic Four, is there anything that stands out to you the most? Um, Well... <laughs> That's what's that's what's weird
1: because actually I looked up uh, uh, an article that listed some of the directors that may have been uh, that may be considered for this, and I'm still on the fence with a lot of them. Uh, you need somebody who who knows, who really knows sci-fi, uh, and I mean like really knows sci-fi, uh, because this is, I mean it's it. It's about scientists, you know, so knowing how the MCU has played out. They very much lean into uh, the specialties of their characters, so they need somebody who is really going to try to be as accurate as possible, I guess to To the lore and to the science, while also maintaining the integrity of the fantastical uh, aspect of uh, of the Fantastic Four. We also we're also juggling four different characters. We can't uh, we can't really zero in on one or two and have the others take a back seat. So, how who's a director that really is good at ensemble casts uh and is also good at balancing hard science with the fantasy i don't know who you came up with i'm having honestly i'm having some trouble coming up with with uh with people i do like some of the uh options that i read and i can't believe i'm i cannot believe i'm going to say this (laughs) but one of them that that was on the list I kind of agree with for the reasons that I said, and that is Justin Lin.
0: He is available now after quitting Fast X.
1: Big cast, right? A family. Yeah, a family. I mean, and literally in this aspect.
0: (laughs) And he's used to working with a thing in Vin Diesel.
1: There you go. So we have familiarity with that aspect um we have familiarity with the fantastical aspect because fast and furious series is just fucking bonkers uh and then we have the science fiction aspect because he was behind star trek beyond so oh, I always
0: forget he did the third star trek
1: right so he has a science fi- he has science fiction under his belt. He has a lot of the things that Fantastic Four has under his belt. And I think he might be the best option without going straight to the Russo brothers, which is something I really don't want to see because I don't want to see another Avengers-toned movie in I... the MCU this far in.
0: I think they're saving the Russos for another marvel movie that's coming down the pipe another avengers style crossover so some of the names that i feel like i talked about last time we talked about fantastic four were um john krasinski but i don't think his name still is in the running because if we're talking about big directors i think he's more known for acting than he is directing um i'm still hoping that he sticks on in some other capacities for the movie just i don't think he's directing it uh, I floated out Peyton Reed because his name was originally attached to this project for years. And then he was given Ant-Man. Uh, I wasn't going to say Peyton Reed until the season two finale of The Mandalorian, in which case he blew away my expectations. I think he did phenomenal with that. Uh, I think I also suggest Matthew Vaughn, I think could be a fun name. But given his past few Kingsman movies, I have not been the biggest fans of But the name I will still stick with that they should go with. I don't know if it's a quote-unquote big enough name. The Incredibles Brad Bird. He has done hard sci-fi with The Incredibles with a family, but also an ensemble cast with probably still the best mission possible with Ghost Protocol, which is a team dynamic, I think. And also done, say what you will about the movie, but he's done hard sci-fi with Tomorrowland as well. I will still stick with Brad Bird in the Disney family, like brad bird's a front runner but also if we're going with quote-unquote big names let me throw out one more john favreau you introduced the mcu with iron man how about another okay we'll give you we'll, we'll we need this one to succeed we need the safe hands that are john favreau and maybe they'll do the same thing with iron man of we need this to work Give it to Favro, and honestly, since Iron Man one, Favreau's stock has only risen even higher. Minus Iron Man two, but we all collectively agree not to talk about that one. Um, if it was up to you, of those choices, what stands out, Ivan? I
1: can agree with Favro um, because of this, uh, because of that safety net. But uh, I would, I would just as well go with Matthew Vaughn. I, uh, I mean, he has, he has superhero quote-unquote superhero experience with kick-ass that's so a he knows superhero how to write a, he knows how to write a superhero arc or he knows how to direct a superhero arc uh same thing with kingsman he knows how to do action sequences he knows how to do all of that um x-men first class was matthew vaughn so he has That hero experience. He's done Marvel properties before. He, so, and First Class was pretty strong, pretty strong movie. I like, I like that, I like that a lot. And it's an ensemble, it's an ensemble cast. It's everything, it hits all the points that you would need for a Fantastic Four movie. The good thing about Matthew Vaughn is that what you would have to do, what he would have to do is just lessen the scale. He already knows how to do a really huge scale, you know? And that's which is why I think John Krasinski would be a bad. Uh, choice for this because given quiet place he's really good at claustrophobia he's not he, he his scale isn't there yet
0: true but to defend krasinski here the russos before doing captain America and avengers did tv with community so like sometimes you just gotta trust people like they massively trust the russos and that paid huge dividends for them um Or you trust low-budget horror directors all the time like David F. Sandberg and Andy Muschietti and you give them big, huge budgets and they're like, oh, yeah, money, what's this? And end up overachieving because of it. Um, I've been saying Brad Bird for years and I'll still kind of stick with that. But that actually will transition me perfectly because Brad Bird has done quite a few Disney movies. And Disney as a whole lately, at least for me, Their movies have been a little bit hit or miss. They feel a little formulaic. So when all of a sudden they just dropped this trailer out of nowhere for a movie called Strange World. I didn't know what to make of it. I had not heard of it. I had not heard any rumblings on it whatsoever. So I watched the trailer. And this is the most excited I have been for a Disney movie in a long time. And then I look up the people making this. I'm going, oh yeah. That tracks. So... Strange World is going to be directed by the same guy that did Big Hero 6 and Moana and wrote Meet the Robinsons. I'm going, yeah, that makes sense with this trailer. But also, maybe it's just me. I love that old school cheesy adventure like style of the narration with the text. But also, starting it in the 4x3 aspect ratio with the mono audio and then expanding it out to be surround and a Uh, widescreen format I'm going genius move my only criticism with this trailer is we don't get any story details but given that this comes out in November I believe I'm okay with not getting specific story details other than it's voiced by Jake Gyllenhaal which I mean you could pick that voice out a mile away Uh, it's voiced by Jake Gyllenhaal and it sounds like a lost in space type of adventure which if that's the case totally down for it. The vivid colors look outstanding. The creativity like when the little cliff starts walking away looked outstanding. I think just it looks so visually and tonally different than a lot of other things we've seen lately. Um, It could just be me that's getting super excited for this but Ivan, as someone that's I'm sure had to sit through a lot of kids movies recently, does this one look like it's going to stand out to you? Kind of look about the same as everything else you've seen. I cannot wait to watch this.
1: I really can't wait to do that. It, 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 because of the, the, what's, who's involved. Um, like my kids love Meet the Robinsons and so do I. I think it's one of those underrated It's so underrated. It's,
0: it's Heather's favorite uh, Disney movie.
1: It, it's fan. It's so fantastic. Um, uh, which by the way, based,
0: based on, based a, book. on a book. Yep. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I almost put it on uh, this, but I didn't know how accurate it was to the book. So.
1: No, neither, neither do I. It's something that I've been meaning to get around to reading, but uh, uh, but Strange World, the the what I get from it is a lot of Journey to the Center of the Earth, or uh, or like you know, like I said, pretty much every adventure movie from or serials from from the nineteen forties and all of that uh, it opens up as uh, as a reel, but uh, at least the sh- the trailer does which I think is a fantastic uh, thing that we just don't have right now. Uh, At least not very strong. We don't have a very strong serial like Indiana Jones type of thing. I think Strange World is gonna bring us back to that. Uh, Even though we don't have too much of a story right now, it's visually stunning. We can tell that it's gonna be visually stunning. And I cannot wait for that. And even if the story isn't all that great, you know what? It looks nice. Sometimes it's all you need.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's Michael Bay's whole mantra. Um, yeah. But I, I have faith that this will be good. Because, like I said, Big Hero 6, I'm still mad at Frozen for Big Hero 6 for taking literally all the attention away of like, people are like, Big Hero 6 is great. Oh, but Frozen is more marketable. Let's talk about that, even though Big Hero 6. Okay. Because I know I can't talk about this with Josh, but I can talk about this with Ivan. I am still pissed that we do not have Big Hero 6 more at Epcot because Big Hero 6 literally teaches kids that education is cool. Science and higher learning is cool. Our main protagonist literally goes to college and learns and defeats the villain with his brain. That is meant for Epcot. But no, thank God we have Ratatouille there instead. Big Hero 6 I, is so underrated, and I'm still pissed we never got a sequel, even though we got an amazing spin-off show on Disney+. Plus, um, We're getting another one with Baymax. Uh, but then, on the flip side, I slept on Moana for so long, like, I just didn't see it. And then I finally saw him going, Okay, someone should have just told me that it was the Big Hero 6 guy. I would have saw a whole lot sooner, because Moana also is so good. Another one of those just visually gorgeous movies of I'm still convinced that there are some scenes in Moana that they didn't animate and it's just a camera looking at water that they animated little people on top of because the water just looks that good so I think narratively this is also going to be really really strong and I love the poster for this it's got that old school adventure vibe if you want my money Either give me a Frog and Toad movie or give me an adventure movie. Just an old school swashbuckling adventure I will always go see. Whether it's Indiana Jones, Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. For better or for worse, I will will watch Uncharted. It's a movie that exists. Uh, National Treasure. I love swashbuckling adventure. And no, it has nothing to do with the fact that knowing obscure things will someday financially pay off
1: but if you look at this poster it's not just the whole swashbuckling thing that we are getting back it is a an era of disney that we don't that we have left behind it's it, it this is so reminiscent of uh, the adventureland posters or the, the the land posters that we have uh, in magic kingdom you know it has that it, ha- it, it has the vibes of uh, treasure, like when we used to have Treasure Island or uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and all of those, you know, that era of Disney is screams that and I am excited to get back to it.
0: Also, there's slight details that you can notice. There's fold marks on this poster. Like it's been folded oh. like a treasure map.
1: Uh, it's great. It's fan- It's great. It's so little details like that make everything. I, I, it's It make everything great. I love it. It's great. It's fantastic. <laughs>
0: Now, for our last news topic of the day, I'm very curious to hear Ivan's thoughts on this one. So, (sighs) filming of Scream 6 supposedly has started this week. Like, supposedly Monday they started filming Scream 6. Well, they're going to be missing one person in particular as at uh, Monsterpalooza, I believe, was the event. A fan asked, Nev Campbell, Sydney Prescott, uh, will you be in Scream 6? Or whatever they're calling this because of the reboot. And she said no uh and more or less kind of said that the it sounded both like she was not happy with the role or the money that she was being offered either like the her role in the movie or the monetary compensation was not worth the 25 year legacy that she has with the character i'm of two minds of this i get wanting to move in a new direction with your new cast but on the flip side She has been in every single Scream movie thus far. I get that you'll be like, well, there's some Halloween movies without Jamie Lee Curtis. And some darn good ones, nonetheless. Like Halloween 3 and Halloween 4. We've kind of come to expect Sidney Prescott to be involved with Scream in some capacity. Like, besides Laurie, I think she is my favorite horror movie protagonist of all time. I know you'll probably say Ripley. Um... Which is also a strong contender, but like, she's just not an idiot. I've always liked her character, and I think she'll be sorely missed, because I don't know how you feel about it, but I like but don't love the new characters in Scream. I think they're okay, but I don't know if they're strong enough to carry the movie by themselves, Particularly the main girl in the new Scream I thought was incredibly weak. I thought her sister that got attacked at the beginning was a much more compelling and interesting character. I, I think I'm really going to miss her. And I think I'll also miss her just because you need a little bit of that comfort level. I'm also worried that the reason she didn't come back for this. And this is me just totally spitballing out here. I think they were going to bring her back to be the opening Drew Barrymore kill for this. And when she said no, that's when they said, okay, bring back Hayden Panettiere and we'll kill her off instead. I'm worried that that's what's happening here. And that's why she said no. Ivan, are you worried about this or do you think it's okay for the franchise to move on?
1: I am also of two perspectives. Um, First perspective, she has no closure yet. Sydney Prescott does not have closure yet. So to have her not be in in Scream 6, even if it is just as an introductory character, uh, I hope they can make it make sense. Um, But they need to pay her what she deserves for being the the final girl of this entire franchise over six movies. the i looked up so i looked up some numbers so the franchise has grossed 744 million dollars eh. not too shabby for a horror franchise
0: yes it's, okay it's, it's decent yeah and that's
1: over the course of 25 years but and screen six had grossed 140 million of that
0: five this is
1: six that they're R- filming worldwide. now. I mean five. I mean five. Excuse me. Screen five has grossed 140 million dollars worldwide. Of that 744, not too shabby. During a time that COVID was just uh, was, was was just transitioning to us going back to the theaters. Yes. So given given all of that, don't you think it would be prudent to give Nev Campbell whatever she asked for? to bring her back as the anchor point for the next movie, to bring audiences back to the next movie, even if you are gonna kill her off. Give her what she asked for. She deserves it. She has carried this entire franchise over the course of five movies. Give it to her. The other perspective is maybe, just maybe we do need to start moving the franchise if we're gonna go past six movies in a new direction. Perhaps uh, Kirby, uh, Hayden Pantier's character Kirby, is going to be the new Sydney.
0: I would That's like that a lot more.
1: You know, I do like Kirby's character quite a bit, and but we need we need a passing of the torch because these two characters have met in the past, so they need to meet for that passing of the torch. Otherwise, in my eyes, it will not have the same impact. Or maybe it won't make sense at
0: all. But also... I didn't mind the new Scream. But... Nev Campbell's character... Almost didn't need to be there. The reason why Sydney's in the movie at all... Is a bit like... A, well, we gotta really bring this thing around. Like... She's there because Dewey called her. But other than that, like... If Dewey didn't call her... I don't think she has any real motive to be there. And I'm wondering how much of that is the writers going... Well, we don't know if Nev Campbell signed on or not. Because she was the last of the OG cast to sign on. So maybe they weren't sure if she was going to be in it at all. Contrasting this to Halloween like we've already done. Say what you will about 2018's Halloween or Halloween Kills. Those movies know how to treat Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie. Like those very specifically like pay respects to the character. They... Say what you will about her becoming Sarah Connor, more or less, from Terminator. But, like, that character, they treat it with reverence and respect. She's key to the storyline while also introducing new elements. Scream, or Scream 5, whatever 5 Cream, whatever we want to call it. It's 5 not- Cream? <laughs> Have you never heard 5 Cream? Yeah, 5 Cream is the... I don't know why I haven't heard that yet.
1: 5 Cream. Yeah, but I love it. It's. Better. I love I'm probably going to call it that from now on.
0: Yeah, 5 Cream. <laughs> But Five Cream doesn't know what it wants to do with Sydney. Like, at least Gale and Dewey kind of have a storyline. Also, for the love of everything in the universe, can we please make Gale the Ghostface killer this time around? Because there's been a few movies now that she should have been Ghostface and hasn't been. And I'm saying this as someone that's really just not the biggest Gale fan.
1: I am so waiting for that. I mean, she she needs to be. She does have enough of a story to become uh, Ghostface. She has enough... uh, What's what's the word I'm looking for? It's not angst or anger, but she has enough pent up in her, yeah, to to to, to
0: she fall should, off of
1: that cliff. She should have know, been it as soon as four.
0: Four. It seemed like they yeah. were setting it up for when
1: when she and when she and Dewey split, and the and the tension between them uh, started to become tighter and tighter they should have somewhere around there have her transition into, into the Ghostface role. I think that would have worked out really well.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just very cautious about this scream. I know a lot of people really like this new one. I thought it was okay, but I'm also coming at it from the perspective of I like, but don't love all the scream movies. I think they're, They're fine. They're movies that I will always at least eventually check out if I don't see them in theaters or, like, rush out to go see them. Like, I'm always going to be more partial to Halloween or Friday the 13th. I think... I don't know if the new Scream left enough of an impression that I need to rush out to see the sequels. Like, I kind of... I'll need to hear word of mouth of, like, is the cast better this time around? Or, more importantly, is the new one going to be as unique and different as you claim that this last one was supposed to be because for all year we're reinventing scream for a new generation you kind of just copied the playbook from the first one you just force awakens did which i mean makes for a serviceable movie but if you've seen the first scream you can kind of predict who the bad guys are pretty quickly yes
1: but remember scream is a very self-aware meta sort of satirical of itself type of movie so to have done that could be by design
0: true you know
1: it could poke its poke at itself by doing a force awakens type of thing and then and copy and paste a plot it is absolutely on brand for that franchise so i liked it i thought i thought it worked
0: Well, I was about to say as per usual, but not as per usual because we've got a slightly different sponsor for us this week before we get into our main discussion. And that is our friend Ivan has written a book. More specifically in novella if you want to be that person. But The Town Beyond the Trees. How do I describe this without going too much detail? I'll say this because I know he won't be offended by it. It's Stephen King light. It's very Stephen King-esque of... There's specific characters that I told him about after I read it. That he's just like, that's exactly what I was going for. It is a strong recommendation from me. Not just because I know I have not But it is the fastest I've gone through a book in a very long time. But also, it is a fascinating, I'll say, entry portal to a larger world that's currently under construction. So, I don't want to give too much away. But, it's basically... A couple in the woods and shenanigans happen, so to speak. Ivan, am I summarizing it as best as I can without giving too much away? There.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you. I think you. Uh, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Scary shenanigans, but shenanigans. Well, obviously. Uh,
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. we're not here for romantic uh, f- failure to I launch shenanigans.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. Definitely not that kind of romance. I mean, there's there's a little bit of connection between some of our characters, but. We're not getting into we're not getting into rom com territory here. That's not my thing, but uh, but yeah, a couple goes a couple goes out for uh, for a road trip. Uh, takes a takes a turn down and down an exit for necessary purposes and uh, meets a fee, meet, meets a, some some people and things on the way that make their trip a little uh, harder than it needs to be per se.
0: <laughs> it is incredibly well written very descriptive i could visualize everything in front of me i will make sure i put all the proper links in the description both on youtube and on the podcast feeds so you guys if you want to check it out uh amazon i believe has it but you can also find it at other retailers um i cannot recommend this enough and like i teased and ivan has some other stuff in the development but it is a proper launching for greater things to come it works as its own story but it's clearly the salad before the steak arrives and that's not to diminish the story at all it's still a complete cohesive narrative in its own right that left me very intrigued for the future so if that sounds like something up your alley check the link in the description or just search the town beyond the trees and you'll find it there thanks for supporting the show and supporting our friends here on the Uncharted Media Podcast now let's talk about books to movies shall we as it feels like before everything got turned from comic books to to movies we got books to movies because it felt like we got a lot of them we still kind of do to this day just maybe not with the proliferation that we used to it felt like based on the best-selling book whether it's hunger games or whatever else like it felt it felt like we got a lot. Now we've gone, oh, comic book movie. sell. Let's do that instead. Um, so, I tried to do it of movies that most closely follow the book. So, some that are good adaptations, like good movies. We'll come back to that if I need to. Because I'm sure Ivan has some of those. Like, I did not put Shawshank Redemption. Primarily because I have not read Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption to know how accurate it is. Uh, I know Morgan Freeman, it's a little bit different in the book. Um, but Ivan, let's kick us off. What is one that you always go to of this? This is a good adaptation from source material to movie. Fight
1: club. Okay. And fight club is, uh, Obviously, a well-written book. Chuck Palahniuk is a fantastic writer, uh, but the adaptation going from that to film, I think, kept loyal to the book in almost every beat. I I thought I thought it was very very well very very well done, um, and was a very good visual description of uh, of that story. Um, the characters were accurate. the uh, The narration uh, was pretty much exactly what I felt when I was reading the book. So I really, really uh, enjoyed that experience, and I think that I yeah I just think that it, it was it was as accurate mm-hmm. as, it, as it can be uh, for the time frame that you have for a uh, for for an adaptation of a novel. So uh that one is definitely one that I would recommend to anybody if they want a good uh a bu- uh, really good adaptation.
0: I will start with because we have a horror guest here. It's only fitting that I start with a horror movie and by that I mean a really really old one. I'm talking about the old one, not the new version of the Invisible Man, originally based off the H.G. Wells book. Ivan just like, he had to do that at some point, because anybody that's talked <laughs> to me for more than 10 minutes knows. The Invisible Man is the single most underrated and the best of the Universal Monsters. And also, like, are all of them, except for the Wolfman, based off literary stories, so to speak? Uh, The Mummy is not. The Mummy has some form of mythology, mummy- though.
1: The Mummy is pretty much a copy-paste of Dracula.
0: Yeah, it kind of is, except Mummy's boring. <laughs> you know, uh,
1: it's, it, the pacing is different, but it is pretty much the same story. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Dracula, Frankenstein, Invisible Man, those are all based on books. Uh, what, what, what Phantom of the Creature, Opera. Creature from the Blackwood. Phantom of the Opera, Creature from Black Lagoon wasn't though.
0: Well, to be fair, Creature from Black Lagoon was the last of the Universal monsters, and I almost kind of put in a next generation, like they're the he's the grandkid, so to speak. Of, he's he's oh, the last okay. of that line because the the original generation was the 30s, and if I'm remembering yeah. correctly, wasn't Creature like the 50s? So he was he's the tail end. Yeah, get, significantly later. He gets more of the science side of it, but just as Creature from the Black Lagoon is science invisible man is science i'm the king of segues um i (laughs) i love that i saw the movie first before reading the book Uh, i love that when i read the book though i can still visualize the movie of the character walking in on a snowy day to this hotel um this inn so to speak uh i just love the original invisible man not gonna lie i was a little disappointed with the new one it's not a bad movie it's a bad Invisible man movie if we're either going off the book and the original movie as its own thing call it something besides invisible man hollow man maybe because there's been no other movie called hollow man whatsoever we don't there's there hasn't been one of those at all uh just call it something no else. no um <laughs> with kevin bacon uh i love the man i think it's a pretty decent adaptation and honestly for a while there we had this oddly specific let's adapt hg wells books and we have not gotten a lot of that since was the last one the 2005 war of the worlds or have we got something more recent than that
1: yeah but uh i mean i'm glad that that movies from hg wells uh properties have been made but we don't get a lot of those now uh
0: we're getting a lot of lovecraft lately though
1: Yeah, uh, people somehow have uh, rediscovered Lovecraft out of nowhere. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I'm not mad at it. Definitely not mad at it. Uh, But I think that... Well, I'm wondering what we're going to be seeing in the future in terms of Lovecraftian stories.
0: We need more Edgar Rice Uh, Burroughs.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And... I don't know. I just think I I have a feeling people are going to latch on to the Cthulhu mythology because that's the most um, recognizable of his of his uh, of his works. Um, I just hope that we're never going to get a remake of Reanimator. As long as that gets left alone, I think we'll be fine.
0: I thought isn't somebody working on a new TV show or something to that extent? Uh, why well, do I don't feel like I heard something Reanimator related? But I could be mixing it up with something that I'm sure might be on your list later, so I won't bring it up. But some other horror franchise I that you love.
1: Really hope Reanimator's not getting remade.
0: I could watch Re-Animate Re-Animate Re-Animator. Reanimator. I could rewatch. I could watch Reanimator on, uh, the, the screen not even on, just so I could hear Jeffrey Combs' beautiful voice, because that voice is like. It's haunting and creepy, but soothing at the same time. I I just love it. All right, what's do you have any horror ones? And why is The Shining on your list? I'm I'm just kidding. If you have The Shining, Um, if you have The Shining, we have issues.
1: The Shining is not on my list. (laughs) Good.
0: Um, I
1: actually only have uh one Stephen King work on my list, or two actually two, um, which was uh, It and Pet Cemetery.
0: Which um, pet, pet cemetery is
1: the original okay. pet cemetery? <laughs> uh, no, because like, how the hell are you gonna take Gage out of the friggin' movie out of the friggin' story? Like, I, just, like, see, like the remake did.
0: I didn't even bother with the remake, I was just like, I'm good. You yeah, know,
1: the, the remake kind of like combined characters into this kid that they, I don't even want to get into it, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's the original, the the the, the original Pet Sematary uh, remake. That is his best and scariest book. And the movie, I think, did a pretty good job at capturing the best moments of it. Uh, so uh, that would definitely be, uh, that's definitely on my list. Um, it is on my list because I think it took the right moments out of the book.
0: <laughs> huh, I wonder so, which parts you're talking about. Let's not talk uh, about well, them today, but anybody that knows the books knows the parts that Stephen King yeah. should never have written in the first place.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You can't That's defend a, those, Stephen. But, uh,
1: no. So, I mean, I think it took the, the right moments from that book, and that book is really kind of like 300 pages too long anyway, so I think it... it Fixed The movies fixed the pacing of the book, and I think that's why it's a really good adaptation. Uh, Hellbound Heart is on my list, uh, which is the obviously the basis for Hellraiser.
0: I knew it! That's the uh, one I was talking about when I mentioned reanimator. I was like, he's going to talk about Hellraiser yeah. later today, isn't he? Oh,
1: of course I am. Of course I am. Clive Barker is one of the most... Uh, audacious writers out right now, or that we've had for as long as he's been <laughs> uh, around. He has absolutely no fear in in his content. No. and But he does it in a way that is beautiful. Uh, it haunts you. It shakes you. And Hellbound Heart does that. And while the while well, there were some liber- there were some changes that happened in the adaptation, um, they were they would have worked either way. Whether or not those changes were made, I still think the movie would have worked as an adaptation. I mean, it kind of helps to have Clive Barker, have, you know, having done the adaptation because uh, it's it's all his content, no matter what. But I do like that the fact that we're getting a re a re boot a remake now of hellraiser and going back to pinhead being a more feminine character like pinhead is in the book i think that's going to be really really great i'm very very excited for what we're for the future of that franchise and how and how that's going to be portrayed
0: so this technically isn't a horror movie but for people of a certain generation it absolutely is and by that i mean Robert Zemeckis, The Polar Express. Polar Express... (laughs) (laughs) Polar Express has not aged as well as y'all 90s babies like to think it has. Um, That's the stuff of nightmares. However, I will give Robert Zemeckis props of this movie feels and reads like the book come to life. Like, I would not be surprised if they just took the book as storyboards for the movie because it looks almost identical to the book it plays out perfectly while fleshing out some things it's a good adaptation of the book granted it's a capsule of its time and oh god it's terrifying because also after uh, Polar Express didn't Robert Zemeckis do that terrifying Jim Carrey Christmas Carol movie using more or less the same technology
1: pretty much yeah and it was just it was just as jarring.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't need Jim Carrey's terrifying face in poorly rendered 3D graphics. Like Polar Express will never be my favorite Christmas movie, but it it does follow its source material quite well, for better or for worse, and maintains that visual style pretty well. Now, with it you mentioned cutting down trimming the fat, so to speak, with it of like making it a more manageable size. I think this is one of those that like really trims the fat as much as fans of this material are like, no, no, this should have been a TV show that should have been 20 hours long each season so we get everything in detail. And by that, I mean Harry Potter. As much as y'all fans complain that they cut out key details, I think the filmmakers cut out the right pieces to make strong movies while keeping the stuff from the books that still make the most narrative sense except for the mirror that just magically shows up in the last movie because they forgot, oh, balls, this is important to the plot, and we forgot to introduce it in literally any of the other movies. It's not like JK could have, you know, told us this or whatever, but I think as much as Harry Potter fans are like, but they cut out peeves, and they cut out this, that, or the other thing, I'm like, in the grand scheme of it, the changes that they made for the movie more often than not, work to the betterment of the film than to leave in subsequent stuff that doesn't really need to be there. I think Harry Potter is the prime example of cut out the garbage and streamline your story because much as we like the Harry Potter books, JK has a tendency to ramble on about stuff that doesn't actually benefit anybody.
1: Can can we agree on one thing, though? Uh, More Dobby.
0: Yeah. I, I guess, but like, I don't need the other if house we, elves. But if we put in more, if we
1: put in more, Dobby, I think that uh, the, his uh, his death scene would have been more impactful. I agree, as impactful as it was. Tra- as as they obviously tried to make it, and I'm not saying that it wasn't impactful because it was. I think that it was more. I think I think it had more. Uh, weight to it to the people who read the books and have gotten and have a better uh, understanding or relationship with the character Um, but if you're just watching the movies this scene still gets you but it doesn't have not nearly the same gravity that it would have if you knew how much we get to know that character
0: Yes. oh no this character that we haven't seen in two movies just reappeared and he's dead now but there there's some stuff with the house elves in particular that go on for too long that probably should have been trimmed down i think the movies trimmed down what they should have whether people want to admit it or not like i don't mind chamber of secrets nearly as much as some other people but the book they spend at least a third of it just building the polyjuice potion like that took a really long time in the book they just sped that up over the passage of time because You can do that with movies. You can show the passage of time very quickly. Isn't that right, Shyamalan? You can just show. You don't always have to tell. (laughs) Um, Whereas in the books, it's the exact opposite. You have to tell because you can't necessarily show. You have to mentally show more than anything. Um, I think Harry Potter, by and large, gets the important stuff down pat. What's next for you?
1: Uh, What's next for me? So... Just throw <laughs> I'm out throw, anything I'm throw, I'm throw something at you. I'm gonna throw something at you because, uh, like, one of these things. Well, one of the things that I do have on the list is actually a TV show, um, but maybe I'll, I'll skip that one just to to throw a little curveball at you. Jumanji. Okay, are you talking about do the Robin Williams remember, one? Yes. Okay. Do you
0: remember reading Jumanji as a kid? Maybe once or twice, not a ton. Okay. Um. Was Jumanji so the same guy? Over. Was Jumanji the same guy that did Polar Express? Oh my god, I don't know. Because those look that's a, almost... that's a
1: really that's a really good question.
0: Because those uh, feel so similar because those they, two they books do. are so similar. And have more or less the exact same style of very much like a big splash page speaking comic book vernacular. They have a big splash page with some words on the other page accompanying it, but they're more visual books than narrative books they still have stories but they're much more put the visual on the forefront more than the more than the traditional yeah it is story. the same author
1: you're right boom you're right chris van Allsburg. yeah you are absolutely right but jumanji nice nice catch dude yeah that's awesome
0: segue uh, <laughs> segue from polar express I could, I, we didn't talk about harry potter at all we what? went directly from uh, polar express to jumanji <laughs>
1: man had we had we have known that uh, a minute earlier uh, <laughs> um but yeah uh jumanji i thought was uh, a pretty a pretty good adaptation in terms of subject matter mm-hmm. but not so much in terms of story because the robin williams story and everything that revolved around robin williams specifically was not in the book but the Rules of the game, the two kids playing the game and seeing what what that board game does with every turn was depicted extremely well. Um, and the the, the 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 scale of that I thought was also very well done. And th- just the whole peril and you were and you talking about Polar Express being as creepy as it is. Um, I actually reread uh, Jumanji before this. I read it earlier today. I, I reread Jumanji, and I'm like, "This is actually um, a little dark." The
0: movie is too. <laughs> and,
1: and and yeah, so uh, so it looks like it looks like Mr. Allsberg's got something going for him uh, in terms of dark kids stories. But I think that Jumanji was a a very good way of taking a short piece and upping that scale with a brand new story while keeping very true to the integrity of of that original story.
0: Piggybacking off of the somewhat fanciful fantasy nature of both Harry Potter and Jumanji and to a certain extent Polar Express, I guess, one that kind of gets lumped in a lot with the Harry Potter argument of, well, it missed this, this, and this from the books. The end of the day. It's a good adaptation. Lord of the Rings. We had to cover it at some point. I think reading the books, the big difference between Lord of the Rings, the books, and Lord of the Rings, the movie, is the books take larger chunks of time with individual characters. You'll go chapter upon chapter upon chapter with Sam and Frodo, then chapter upon chapter upon chapter with Aragorn, whereas in the movie, because you've got such a wide cast, you kind of have to bounce around a little bit more and the parallels are more clear of here's what frodo's doing at the exact same time as what aragorn is doing the actions are still the same but i think the movie rearranges the order a little bit because the medium is different like you can't just spend i don't know two hours of fellowship with just sam and frodo as cool as that sounds it throws off the pacing a little bit so i think for lord of the rings It's adjusting to the medium. Obviously, they have to make some changes. I know some people are like, well, they didn't include this or didn't include that. Like Harry Potter, sometimes it's okay to trim the fat. The beginning of Fellowship, when they're for a book, you have to establish the world. They go into very descriptive detail about uh, the Shire and Hobbiton. The movies do not need to go into as much detail because they can, again, show as opposed to tell. And other times... When adapting the book, they could be like, well, in the book, they connect the dots A, B, C, and D. Well, can't we just go A to D using this visual storytelling shortcut as opposed to hopping all around? Like, in the book, they pretty quickly meet the elves as opposed to in the movie. Not so much. But you can tell the story in a different way and still kind of end up in the same conclusion because you're telling the story in a different way. It's still the same narrative. You just take a different route to get there.
1: Like, absolutely, absolutely right. I, I think people more people need to understand that uh, books and movies are two different mediums. And there needs to there needs to be an understanding of what goes into telling a story via film what goes into telling a story via literature, uh, via, via book, prose, what, what have you, uh, you have so much more time with a book you can do, you know, you have so much more leeway for detail in a book. Uh, you can put down a book and come back to it later whenever you want, pick up where you left off. That's fine with a movie. Yeah, sure. You can do that, but, but you're weird it's not the same experience <laughs> you're weird you're weird why would you why would you do that for why uh, for why uh you have about that you have that two hour span depending on the genre you know an hour and a half to, to two hours to tell that same story before you lose your audience you know so you we have to be a little bit more lenient with our opinions uh, when it comes to how well this book was adapted to film. We have to understand that those are two completely different mediums. All
0: right, I have four more movies on my list. How many more you got on your checklist there? Let me see. Let's balance this out so we're not completely lopsided. I actually, one side I actually,
1: I have four as well.
0: Oh, I just, I love it when a plan <laughs> comes together. <laughs> For the record, guys, there's no prep behind this. I just love it when things just work out like that. Uh, So I did Lord of the Rings. What you got next?
1: So let me see. Should I do... I'm going to do the TV show next because the other ones, I think, are going to be uh, a little bit unique. (laughs) So Nosferatu. Oh. Yes.
0: Okay. I
1: thoroughly enjoyed that show uh you know up until the end when they cut it short but that's that's a whole other thing i can gripe about in terms of it being an adaptation what it adapted from the book i think was so good uh we got to uh we got to meet all the characters that that we needed to meet we got the pacing was just right uh Uh, the Wraith is just beautiful Uh, Zachary Quinto holy shit (laughs) Uh, I think everybody understood what they were doing here Um, and I'm glad that they chose to do it in in the form of a show instead of in the form of a movie because there was so much and they took their time in building christmas land and building uh the bridge uh the bridge between locations and uh, and establishing you know our our protagonist powers and and our antagonist powers and and how they work together or against each other it was it was it all came together so well uh if you have not watched nosferatu please 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 do and read the book if you're not going to read the book at least listen to the audiobook because it like is it's narrated by um <laughs> oh yeah the audiobook is is uh, is narrated by uh, Kate Mulgrew and uh she 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 played Captain Jadeway on Voyager on Star Trek Voyager
0: uh, and Oh! You're talking you're talking to the wrong Aurel. My parents could talk literally anything Star Trek with you. They would know exactly who you're talking about. My parents are huge Star Trekkies actually. But didn't okay. didn't pass on to the uh, next well, generation. <laughs> okay. Next generation. Oh god, I
1: see I see that. That oh, was totally
0: accidental. It just happened at this point. Uh,
1: but uh she is a very 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 great narrator. So if if you're not going to read the book and you'd rather do the audiobook do the audio book with Kate Mulgrew, cause and then go watch the series. It's fantastic.
0: So my last one I talked about, Lord of the Rings changing up the order and kind of how things are delivered narratively. Uh, I got another fantasy one but this really did not change from the book at all and honestly it's one of the most accurate book to movie adaptations, even right down to the order of the events in which they take place in the Witch, in the Wardrobe, that's pretty spot on from the original C.S. Lewis. Minus some very, very small details, which don't change the overall narrative at all. This is almost like, <laughs> pardon the pun, it's almost religiously accurate to the original book here. Because, <laughs> like, there's just little details that they didn't have to worry about but they nail for the book and even then in the book of like when they go to the final battle they cut back to Aslan that's exactly how it is in the book Um, also it's a whole lot better than some of the early BBC versions of Lion of the Witch and the Wardrobe which are absolutely nightmare fuel Lion of the Witch and the Wardrobe is honestly I don't know how it got made and how it looks as good as it did I watched it during lockdown and honestly the effects on that movie still hold up which kind of blow my mind because it's a it's a little after Lord of the Rings, but honestly still look probably as good as Lord of the Rings and did not did not need to at all. It sticks to all facets of the book, the subtext and the literal text, which I mean, growing up is realizing, wow, Narnia isn't as subtle as I thought it was, um, but it follows the book incredibly closely and doesn't actually end up changing anything like Lord of the Rings changed up the order to make it a better movie this still works both as a book and as a movie maybe it's because it's a children's book so it's more streamlined for its readers uh, I was about to say all of the Hobbit but Hobbit is also kind of a winding path as well Hobbit is not a very direct path Uh, Lion of the Wardrobe I've seen the movie a lot I've read the book a lot as a kid still amazed okay you actually pulled off a very accurate adaptation I'll give you credit Andrew Stanton Wow, I actually
1: completely forgot about that one.
0: <laughs> it's because the rest of the franchise after that first it. one was, eh.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, what I'm going to throw at you now is Frankenstein, however. The Kenneth Branagh. I'm not talking about that either. I'm talking about Mel Brooks. <laughs> Stay with me here. Okay. See, pinching, pinching, pinching the 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 bridge of your nose there. I don't even have glasses, but I've got
0: glasses like indents now.
1: I promise you, Young Frankenstein is a good adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, it really,
1: really is because even though we're focusing on the son of Frankenstein, they pretty much retell the story of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Uh, and the fact that they that they changed it by a generation, uh, or next of kin, however, however you want, what have you, they were able to take some liberties in that storytelling, but not at all did they did they sacrifice the integrity of that story? Not at all did they sacrifice that story. And I think it was so brilliantly done and was able to allow you to have fun with it while still telling that story. Mel Brooks is just, it was a masterclass in in satire while still being a just a a good movie.
0: And it's in great. your in your case the best Mel Brooks movie, right? Uh yeah. Bring it a full <laughs> circle. Bring it a full circle.
1: <laughs> I told you I was going
0: to come back to something like that. And here is the moment I've been waiting for. The moment that I get to piss right, off go. literally everybody listening to this when I talk about a specific chocolate maker.
1: I knew you were, I was waiting for this.
0: Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is one of the most accurate book to movie adaptations ever created minus the one big huge detail that is Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka. I don't know what he's going for there. Obviously you've got the obvious Michael Jackson joke there, but take out Wonka and swap out the Gene Wilder version and this is almost a pitch perfect Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book. I think the problem that people run into is they compared it so much to the Gene Wilder one, which I love that movie. But compared to the book, it is not very accurate of why is Charlie's dad completely dead and or gone whereas in the book and in the tim burton version he's alive and well and works at a toothpaste factory screwing caps on the top of the toothpaste like that's a tiny detail that i applauded when i finally watched it or They include the legend of Prince Pondicherry, of the great ruler of a foreign country that commissions Willy Wonka to make a castle and house entirely made of chocolate. And Wonka warned him, you better eat all the chocolate before it melts. I will not melt. I will not eat my chocolate. I will live in my castle and in his house melts down. That's in the original book and also in the Tim Burton version. But most importantly, people get it mixed up. They think Willy Wonka. They think Gene Wilder's version. Aesthetically and tonally, the book is a lot closer to Tim Burton's style in terms of the book is balls-to-the-wall weird. And if you look at some of the original designs in the book, they're very Tim Burton-esque, a very angular, thin-faced people with spirals, vivid colors, and vivid imagination. Roald Dahl was a very creative person, The style of *Charlie and the Chocolate Factory* fits so much better with Tim Burton's style. Granted, Johnny Depp overshadows everything else, but uh, *Violet*—Uh, *Veruca Salt* getting kicked into the furnace with chipmunks—that's what happens in the book. Not she's a bad egg. They follow the book to the T almost, and I was amazed at how much clearly tim burton must have loved this book as a child and was a lifelong fan wanting to bring this to life because the amount of detail the small little details like it's always bothered me in the original willy wonka and the chocolate factory charlie finds a golden ticket in a wonka bar no he finds the golden ticket in a scrum diddly bar which is different he doesn't like Wonka Bars. He gets Wonka Bars once a year for his birthday. There's other candies besides just chocolate bars. So it's just the little minute details that Tim Burton knew that us Charlie Sweaties, got to think of a better way to say that, would care about and pay attention to that as much as I like the Gene Wilder one, it's not really close to the original source drill. It's, it's an adaptation of... The loose adaptation that kind of follows some aspects. My only gripe with the Tim Burton one is one, Johnny Depp, and two, the tunnel scene is not in the book, but I would have loved to have seen what Tim Burton would have done with that tunnel scene because oh, that's that's something messed up that, that I, may or, I may or may not have that whole scene memorized because it's just that good. I've seen the original movie that many times, but and Chalk Factory is a lot more accurate than anyone wants to acknowledge because they're too busy complaining about how bad Depp was.
1: I uh, uh, really um, am glad that you went on, that you went on that little tirade there because <laughs> a lot of people don't know don't know any don't know what you just said. I mean they 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 do not know the accuracies you know between between those two movies and, and source material. So it's good it's good it's good that I was waiting for you to to talk about that.
0: Also. I need to get on my my pedestal for a moment. None of the kids die. Stop saying Willy Wonka invited the kids to his candy factory to die and kill them. We blatantly see, thankfully, unlike the Gene Wilder version, in the Tim Burton version, we see the kids leave the chocolate factory. It is about moral lessons, not child killing.
1: (sighs) I love it. I love it so much.
0: <laughs> it's almost like this book is a fairy tale with a moral. I, I, but who who cares? I've
1: listened to you go on this rant before, and I and and I loved it then, and I love it now. Much
0: <laughs> <you> appreciated. <laughs> so so I, uh, I have two more. You've got one or two more. Alrighty, you got uh, one more. So. I got two more. Okay, cool, cool, cool.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of them is more of a uh, collection of books and uh, that that were that are uh, that each of them have been made into a movie. It's the works of of an author. Uh, and it goes on the same principle as Jumanji where they are short, um, but they have been uh, they have been adapted to have a larger story uh, that does not. Uh, that does not mess with the central message of the story from the books that is pretty much any adaptation of a Dr. Seuss book huh. can you tell him up here?
0: <laughs> don't don't bring uh, up the Jim Carrey one mm,
1: I, I I might I might but I will hear you out because I you, brought you, up I'm gonna Charlie no, I'm going to do you one better that if you're grimacing right now what... Cat in the Hat
0: no, I'm talking I, Mike Myers. So that movie yeah. has become a meme, but I don't I can absolutely see where you're coming from on this.
1: Yeah, because it, it hits every point of the book, but then goes into a lot more depth with their parents, which we don't see what the parents do in the book. We we don't really get much, if anything, about the parents in the book, but we do in the movie, and what it does seeing all of that gives us a little bit more stakes when it comes to not messing up this house or getting it clean before, before their mother gets home, that kind of thing. And, uh, and so I really think that the additions that they've made and the changes that they've made go really well. And they do this with everyone. They do it with the lower X. They do it with, uh, uh, with cat how they do it with um here's a who you know all of them don't mess with the central message but they take time to give the characters more depth i really really
0: admire that so you talked about a children's book with dr seuss i'll go with the only kids book well besides polar express but i don't think that's written for adults either uh, the only kids book on my list i think besides Charlie and chocolate factory i'm forgetting my own list apparently um with a book that I've read over and over and over again as a kid, that I'm still convinced is one of the best book-to-movie adaptations of all time, Holes by Louis sakar I loved this book as a kid, and I love the movie. Uh, the movie just follows the book so closely. The only thing that they changed is something that they actually had logical reason to change. In the book, Stanley Yelnats is a heavyset kid, that being out in the sun and exercising all day, he really, really thins out over the course of the movie. They said they didn't want to do that because they didn't want a uh, thinner actor bulking up and then going back down to weight. They were like, that's probably not safe for a child to do in a very small window of time going, holy crap, that actually sounds logical and responsible. That, that's, that's new for you, Disney. Uh, but besides that... Holes is honestly super accurate to the book, down to the smallest detail. Uh, The character interactions with zigzag, x-ray. Someday, I'm determined I'm gonna do this video, uh, that Holes is basically just Shawshank for kids because they're exactly (laughs) the same movie of a falsely imprisoned person that escapes in the prison but in doing so exposes the corruption within that prison after a friend of theirs uh also is on the outside that they bring in a new person they teach somebody in the prison to to read everyone's got nicknames in the prison um but holes follows the book so well and at that point in time as a kid I hadn't seen a lot of adaptations that were that close. Probably the closest thing was Harry Potter. And at that point in time, I'm like, well, they I was that person that I complained about earlier, going, they didn't have this, that, or the other thing. They're supposed to run into peeves, and that's why they found fluffy and everything else. But holes, I couldn't do that with I was like, oh. They genuinely followed the book. They cut down on some of the stuff because them digging holes gets a little repetitive and monotonous, which in the book That makes sense because it's supposed to feel like that when you're digging holes. It's to build character. No, it's to find a treasure. Uh, But in the movie, again, show, not tell. You can show the passage of time a lot easier doing that. Uh, And also, introduce the world to Shia LaBeouf, which is both a good and a bad thing because he's like an uncaged animal. If you can control him, he's loyal and great and everything else. But if he's not, he will give you rabies. (laughs)
1: Okay, (laughs) and i was waiting for you to get to that one too because i know how much you love holes
0: that and it's on the graphic
1: Uh, that and it's on the graphic and i was like oh wow we're kind of kind of deep into this we're not we're not even at the at the graphic for this yet okay cool
0: but But you (laughs) uh, and i both have one more don't we
1: yes we do yes we do um and i am going to go with cuz i actually have more listed but i there's only one that i actually want to uh to bring up and that is i'm going i'm and actually i'm going to go ahead and go with the blasphemy here dracula and i'm going with bram stoker's dracula the i'm netflix not going one? with the lagosi
0: the netflix one no i'm no i'm oh, with the, I'm the gary Stoker oldman one blah. The Gary Ullman, county This one, Coppola. Yes. Yeah, I'm going
1: to go with Coppola. Um, I'm not going with Lugosi on this one. Uh, while the uh, while the story was there with Lugosi, um when it comes to the pacing, when it comes to the character uh, development. Um, and when it, when it comes to the method of using, uh, letters or journal entries, Coppola nailed that because Bram Stoker, that's what Bram Stoker used in his, in his book. There were entries, there were letters. That's, that's what, that's what told the story. And... Coppola did such a great job at making a book that was admittedly not the easiest book to read uh, be an easy story to consume. Uh, And I think he really nailed it with everything, (laughs) just everything. Uh, The terror was there, the love story was there, you felt so much for these characters that weren't Keanu Reeves, um, and, and yeah. I'm sorry. We Jonathan we love Keanu, just, but, we we all, we love Keanu but we don't talk about that one. We don't talk about that one. Don't love Jonathan too much, but, it, but
0: however, it was the first of many roles of him named John. Yes, yes, it was. I don't know why he picked is, this one though.
1: Yeah, well. I think he could have done better i mean he was that he was at a point in his career where maybe he just probably just wasn't there yet you know um I, I have a feeling that if he were to do it now he probably would have nailed it uh but i think that when a writer did a great job i think obviously oldman did a fantastic job uh at portraying dracula as a monster that you feel for uh legosi played a good dracula but he was more menacing and you focused on that horror and that menace more than you did the heart of that character and i think that gary oldman's version of the character was a lot more balanced uh in the in in all of those elements, and he you can see the human side in him that was really overtaking the monster side in him. It was always at the forefront. Yes, he was a monster. Yes, he 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 was a vampire, but f- first and foremost, he was human because of his ability to love a person over so much time.
0: In a and I really sense, I like the depth. Yeah, in a sense. Not quite the direct comparison, but you can almost kind of equate Bella versus Gary Ullman to Bill Skarsgard versus Tim Curry's it. Mentioned it earlier in terms of one emphasizes the scare, whereas the other emphasizes the more well roundedness of the character. Skarsgard is mm-hmm. terrifying. Tim Curry is terrifying and funny and enjoys what he does. Like I if I'm a child. I can more easily be lured into the trap that is Pennywise with Tim Curry's than Skarsgård. Skarsgård, I'm running the opposite way. He does not seem welcoming. There's not a trap to be sprung there. And I think it's kind of the same thing with Legosian versus Ullman. Do you prefer the horror or do you want the more interesting, well-rounded depiction? Um, I prefer, as for a movie, I will always prefer the original bella lugosi dracula but if we're going with accuracy to the original material then absolutely it's got to be coppola's version and also just it's the only one that can rival bella lugosi's for lavish production because all the set design for that is unparalleled
1: i respect that i can absolutely respect that um in terms of uh, uh your opinion on pennywise however I think that the, they're both really 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 good depictions of Pennywise. I just oh, I didn't say diff- one was better than the other. I, I just say well they focus rounded- on yeah. You know, I, d- I I don't think it's the well-roundedness of the character that's really the big the big um uh the big difference. I think it's the hunting style hmm. that is th- that the big difference. Like Pennywise is hunting. He, he is a creature that is hunting these children and Whereas Tim Curry uh, is luring them in somewhat by being funny, because, hey, they're kids, they love clowns, whatever. Yes, there's the fear in there as well, but because that fear is um, is more so with Skarsgård, we get that idea that or that fact that fear is like a seasoning to this creature. You know? They don't. I mean, yes, he does lure a little bit, like what he did, like when he takes Georgie. But for the rest of his victims, it really is like we're going full balls to the wall horror, because I need you to be scared for me to devour you. No, no games, none of that crap. You know, we're going straight into making you taste as good as possible because that's how I like to eat you. So I. I, I I think it's more about the, not so much well-roundedness of the character, but what style of hunting do you prefer? (laughs) You know?
0: Yeah. So my last one, I say it for last because I do think it's the best adaptation, but I think some people might get hung up on the technicality of it because technically it's based off of a true event, but the movie itself is more based off of the book than the real event. And by that, I'm talking about Moneyball starring Brad Pitt. So the movie is written by Aaron Sorkin. Oh, bless the Lord for Aaron Sorkin, the best scriptwriter out there. But the original book was written by Michael Lewis. So the book is basically about the 2002 Oakland A's and how the cheapest and poorest team in baseball went to the playoffs despite losing three of their all-stars. Basically drafting people no one had ever heard of, but also introducing statistics to baseball the movie follows the book so closely. Now, whether or not the book follows the actual events is not what I'm discussing. It follows the book and so I'm sure Michael Lewis, the original author, had his own subjective view of the situation and the movie adheres to that subjective view more than anything else. The only thing that they really change from the book to the movie is in the movie, Brad Pitt's uh, Billy Bean becomes the central character as as in the book Moneyball itself is the main character like the Oakland A's as an organization is the main character Billy Bean is the is the lead of that but he's not necessarily the central protagonist whereas in the movie he is because that's just how film logic works you need to have a protagonist Um, and also in the book they put more emphasis on Bill James who is a behind the scenes guy who actually not associated with Oakland A's whatsoever but was the actual guy that came up with stats and information that was later used by the A's he gets like two sentences in passing in the movie. They kind of gloss over him. But by and large, when I first watched the movie, I had just finished reading the book. So I was amazed that, honestly, Aaron Sorkin almost just ripped the book and put it on screen. In terms that they use dialogue directly from the book. Um, there's one line that I'm always just like, oh yeah that was definitely in the book because I remember laughing a good long minute for that of their talk about analyzing players and like, this guy's the guy that's so confident when he walks in a room, his dick's already been there for five minutes. I'm going, hey, that was in the book because that was funny. I remember laughing at that. But like, they describe one player as the Greek God of Walks. Greek God of Walks is in that movie several times over. Um, the dialogue is absolutely spot on. The character interactions, just down to the lowest detail of like, Billy Bean doesn't watch the games because it's the only thing he doesn't have control over so he works out then instead because he puts all this time and prep into the games that he doesn't bother watching the games because he he can't do anything with that that's their um character interactions another thing that they changed was the name of his second in command but primarily because the real life version of that guy was like that's an accurate depiction of me maybe look at yourself in the mirror and maybe he's a little more accurate than you would like to admit um I love Moneyball, and I did all all my research on my list that I was looking at over the past few days to kind of get this list prepped. No one was talking about Moneyball, and I think that's primarily because it did actually happen. But the lens in which the movie is portrayed is absolutely a Michael Lewis slash Aaron Sorkin slash Bennett Miller the director's focal view. It's not it's not reality. It's how the book Moneyball presents it as opposed to how Major League Baseball probably presents the situation of Moneyball the dialogue is spot on, the character interactions spot on, the emphasis on statistics and analysis um, also drawing and improving some things from the book of why does Billy Bean approach certain statistical aspects the way he does primarily maybe because of his own failings as a player so to speak, like the movie is able to make those correlations so I love Moneyball, and it's one of those that every time I read the book, I hear those lines of dialogue when I revisit the movie. I'm going, this is just so, so spot on. And Aaron Sorkin just is the best scriptwriter working today. Not even close.
1: Uh, I'm going to disappoint you real quick and say I actually have not seen Moneyball.
0: I didn't think you had. <laughs> and uh, I should
1: probably change that.
0: You don't have to be a baseball fan to enjoy Moneyball. If you like Sorkin, you will like this because it's a very Sorkin movie. Very walk and talk or sit and talk.
1: I'm going to give it a shot very soon.
0: It's the best line to sum up the movie. They're sitting in the, the scouting room. There are rich teams. There are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. That's Moneyball in a nutshell, basically. I'm like, I like it. It's, it's the island of misfit toys. If we have X amount of dollars, our opponent has 10 times that much money. How do we compete with them? Your goal should not be to buy wins. Your goal should be to buy runs because runs equal wins. And basically approaching baseball from a statistical standpoint. Eliminate what people see with eyes and look at the numbers only. And it's so well done from that perspective.
1: Well then well I'm sold. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna watch that soon and give it a
0: shot. Well what about you guys? Is there any last minute ones that you're like, oh that's a great adaptation that these guys are idiots for not talking about? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribed to us on YouTube, help us get to seven hundred subscribers before the end of the year. That's our goal. And I'm going to keep reminding you all, because I don't know why I promise this, but if we get 700 subscribers before the end of the year on the YouTube channel, (laughs) we will talk about Darth Jar Jar's Plagueis, because I hate myself. Uh, And also, last, again, if you want to pick up Ivan's book, I'll make sure to put the link in the description, Town Beyond the Trees. I highly recommend it. Obviously, Ivan's going to recommend it, probably not as highly as I will, because no one's their own harsher critic, but... I think you would rather really enjoy it. Like I said, it's a good gateway into a larger universe. Um, and as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.